Welcome to the Gaining Momentum Podcast with your hosts, Abby and Megan. This is the podcast where we try our best to parent our kids for the world we want them to grow up in and the world we live in now. Welcome back, Gaining Momentum community. Abby and Megan here. We're so happy to be with you for another episode. Uh, Abby, how are things? How's September? What's going on? Yeah, on this final day of September, I'm mm-hmm. um, not much is going on. Oh, it's autumn officially, mm-hmm. and the leaves are just changing beautiful, like golden brown and red and oranges, and all the lovely, like picturesque photos which I am like now becoming that person who's just like, Ooh, look at that leaf. I'm going to post it on Instagram. <laughs> Ooh, look at this. I'm going to post it over here. And just like, just like bombarding my family chats with fall pictures. That's amazing. I love it. And speaking of fall coming to town, you just had a birthday. Yay! Yeah. I was going to say, I was like such a basic fall lady. We <laughs> went to like a winery and I'll talk about it a little bit later at the shout out. Uh, and like, just like, it was like fall had vomited all over our past weekend. Cause we we were at like a farm with like a pumpkin patch and the, Ooh. like you're talking about like the leave pictures and like everything just is like, so picturesque. It's like the yellow leaf floating down to the ground, <laughs> like think that it's like a really artistic moment, but everybody's like got the same, same vision around fall. But yeah, it was, it's, it was good. It was lovely. We had a nice time. Um, yeah. Here's to 36. Yeah. 36 looks good on you. And I hope it feels Thanks, just pal. as good. Thanks, pal. Yeah, I feel like I'm like starting to like get comfortable in my mid to late 30s skin here. And there's something I felt I felt like less hang ups. I didn't really have many hang ups. But when I turned 35, it felt very significant for some reason because it was like, oh, 35. That's like mid 30s. Very different. (laughs) So 36, like, you know, just didn't it felt like it felt good. Yeah, it felt really good. Yep, it's where I'm at. Yeah. Nice. And speaking of where we're at this episode, we welcome back the lovely Chewinis Ogilvy. Mm-hmm. It's just so great to chat with her. I feel like she's like, I just feel very grateful that she trusts us with her words and she trusts oh, yeah. us to share her thoughts and her feelings and in an unfiltered manner mm-hmm. Absolutely. and that she's willing to also share it with the gaining momentum community. Yeah, totally. I, I echo that sense of honor. It's a big responsibility to create space for folks to feel safe enough and comfortable enough to bring their fullest self to the Mm -hmm. conversation. Um, And so, you know, it's such an honor for us to be able to connect with Chewinis and and know her more and um, be able to continue to provide this space as a space of learning for ourselves and for our community as well. Um, And not because it's her job to teach anybody anything, but it's a place of discussion. And I think folks can glean a lot from that discussion space. Yes. I feel more like it was a conversation as opposed to like an educational, like, um, like -hmm. a lecture or us trying to be like, okay, like, can you set a curriculum for us where I feel like it was a conversation because there's a lot to be learned just from talking to people too. Right. hundred percent. As long as you're engaged in a conversation with somebody else who wants to be there and you're giving them the option of being in that conversation with you. And it's Mm -hmm. somewhere that you both want to be, then I think there's so much that can be learned and gained, um, on both parts. Mm -hmm. And I also think when we're talking about learning, we have the first national day for truth and reconciliation coming up, uh, the same Mm -hmm. day this pod drops. So what have you and your kids and your family been doing around learning about the atrocities committed against indigenous people and just sort Mm -hmm. of, I guess about truth and reconciliation. Yeah. Yeah. I think like over the last six months, um, like it, and it's unfortunate that it takes such a stark demonstration of genocide to, Mm -hmm. um, get folks thinking about, oh, I need to have this discussion in my household, Mm -hmm. particularly, I'm talking particularly about settlers Mm -hmm. in in this, in so-called Canada. Um, and so I think there has been an uptick in folks actually thinking about how do I do this? How do I talk about this? And mm-hmm. better late than never is mm-hmm. where I'm at. Um, I'm, I'm always happy to welcome anyone to the table that's like ready to start, you know, reckoning with this country's mm-hmm. um, history of genocide and thinking about how to do that. And I'd rather do it. I'd rather be the person you're asking. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't have all the answers than some of our, um, you know, folks in, you know, in indigenous communities or indigenous folks. Mm-hmm. But some of the things that 
I know have been important for us in our own family is first of all, just being really honest. I think you can be honest without, you can be honest and still be developmentally appropriate and not like frightening, you know? Um, I think that people get, and Chawinis talks about this in our interview that people will hear, but like people kind of have this notion that like, well, they're young and like, it's going to scare them or upset them. Um, well, first of all, kids of color and like indigenous kids specifically in this context have been dealing with the impacts of colonialism, their entire existence. And if they're old enough to deal with those impacts, which they're not arguably, um, everybody else's kids are old enough to talk about what, what happened in Canada and what continues to happen. Mm -hmm. So I think part of it is also, um, taking shame out of the conversation. So I know like, you know, there can be this cause, cause we are probably wearing that shame too, but and shame tends to be kind of unproductive in terms of like moving us forward in action. It can be debilitating. So, you know, the way that we approach it is just being like very honest about, you know, the history, um, but also trying not, not depersonalize in a way that takes away responsibility, Mm -hmm. but depersonalize in a way that like allows for responsibility and takes shame out, out of the conversation. So like because you are your identity, you're not bad. You're not, um, you know, you know, you're not a bad guy or you're not bad because, um, of who you are. Um, and it might feel bad when you think about like what you you know, the role your ancestors played or that, you know, the privilege you may carry. Um, but it's important to recognize where your power lives and what you could do with that power. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's sort of where our conversations have lived, you know, similar to a lot of the different you know, a lot of the anti-racism conversations we're having in our household, but just pro- providing more specific kind of historical context mm-hmm. that makes sense. What about yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. I think I differ a little bit. Um, I don't think of shame necessarily as a negative, like, I mm-hmm. think it can be what jumpstarts people into action. I don't think yeah, we true. should try to get rid of shame. I don't think mm-hmm. we should, um, pretend like it doesn't exist. I think that yeah. just comes back to what we always talk about being, com- uh, getting comfortable, being uncomfortable totally. where like shame is an uncomfortable feeling. So what are you mm-hmm. going to do to remove that feeling instead of running and hiding because it will come back. Yeah. Then sure. like, what are you going to do? Are you going to learn? Are you going to mm-hmm. educate yourself? Are you going to educate those around you? What are you going to do so that shame doesn't become the top emotion or so that shame propels you into action? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's such an important way of putting it. It's not about shame, not being there. Cause that discomfort is important to sit in. Um, it's just about like, how does it motivate you? Does it paralyze or does it move you forward? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so in, in terms of conversations and activities and what we're doing in our household, mm-hmm. uh, we have frequent conversations just about indigenous cultures and mm-hmm. communities and languages and, Uh, there's a nature conservation conversation. There's a nature Mm -hmm. conservation site that we go to, and there's Mm -hmm. a teepee there that's designed Mm -hmm. by the OG Cree artist, Jordan Stranger. And it depicts the seven values from the Anishinaabe tradition guiding how to treat others and the earth. So on it, there are Mm -hmm. seven animals painted depicting each of the seven values. So my son loves that teepee and he loves learning what each of the animals depicts. And so we have lots of conversations around uh, those teachings and around um, the represent what each animal represents. And so those are like continued conversations. We go to the TP mm-hmm. fairly often. And then he also likes to have follow-up questions as we all know, my kids, daddy, <laughs> I'm curious. And so mm-hmm. one of the things he likes to do is pop quizzes to make sure that I can still remember what, <laughs> what the seven values are and what mm-hmm. they, what they mean. Uh, so that's one of the things we do where we talk about indigenous people, indigenous culture, and how that's like one of the set of teachings for mm-hmm. a particular community. And then we've also had dialogue about indigenous people being the original inhabitants mm-hmm. of this land and how this is where, um, like a lot of shit's gone down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and so we have, I've talked, told him the origin story of Turtle Island, Mm-hmm. And so we have had conversations just sort of, we weave it into just as things come up, like we make opportunities for things to come up so we can talk yep. about stuff. And specifically mm-hmm. right now around residential schools, we talked a lot over the summer, but right now leading up to September 30th and orange shirt day as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used orange shirt day as a vehicle to have further conversations. So 
um, in my son picking out his orange shirt and then mm. explaining to him what orange shirt day represents and why on that particular day, an orange shirt means something significant. Yeah. And so we talk about the orange shirts being in recognition of survivors of residential schools and also mm. remembering all the children who were lost. And so, you know, he's a kid, yep. he understands, um, other children. So he asked me questions about mm-hmm. why this happened. And one of the things that we've done, well, like I will say to him, well, okay, well, remember how sometimes we talk about we get treated poorly because of what we look like. Mm-hmm. And this happens to other people as well who aren't white. And so then we talk about, you know, the discrimination yeah. by Indigenous people just simply for being who they are. Yeah. And so we've talked about Orange Shirt Day. And then there's also this podcast called Warrior Kids Podcast. Yes, and, awesome. Yes. And specifically, there's an episode that came out last week called truth and reconciliation day. So nice. I gave that a pre-listen just so I could listen to it with my child and kind of mm-hmm. anticipate what he's going to hear and be, and equip myself to be able to have further conversations. Yep. So those are kind of some of the things that we're doing. And then for myself, I'm mm-hmm. still listening. Um, I think we posted about this podcast before. I'm not sure. But I'm still still listening to telling our twisted histories. And I'm also yep. listening to the hence forward. Mm-hmm. which is a podcast that considers a quote unquote, the relationships between indigenous peoples and black peoples on turtle Island. Ooh, that sounds amazing. I hadn't yeah. heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I want to just link back real quickly to the, and echo your sentiment around talking about land. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like one of the things that we've been trying to do is just be like very like, um, like intentional all the time about talking about the land and whose land we're on Mm -hmm. and what that means and who the traditional keepers of that land are. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the place we live, um, we try to not just talk about that place from its colonial like name, but Mm -hmm. also just like continually referencing like the indigenous territory and um, integrating that as a very normalized part of our understanding of the place we sit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for, for kids like that, I just, I'm hopeful that that like, that's a decolonizing action, you know, that like sort of helps them understand um, the place they plant their feet. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, it's just very normalized to understand that this is not your, this is not your land, you know, this is stolen land. um, Mm -hmm. And we're in this place now where we're working to um, figure out what that means for everybody who lives in this place, but um, whose, whose land it is. And that history is, is definitely a part of um, something that we're always just sort of integrating and weaving in to like our daily conversations in life, not just, you know, on September 30th or leading up to, um, but just like all the time, right. Whenever Mm -hmm. we're moving through the world, Um, you highlighted some really, really great resources there. I think we'll try to put a whole bunch of resources up on our Instagram, um, a couple of great podcasts, Um, you know, Phyllis's orange shirt is um, a really great picture book um, that sort of explains the origins of orange shirt day. Um, And so, and there are a handful of other great books that are good. We all, we love, you know, how we love books. They're great (laughs) facilitators of these discussions and other, just other tools, you know, to be able to like ground the conversation and even tools for yourselves. Um, yeah. as adults and parents to continue your decolonizing your own perspectives and um, how we how you understand the place you sit. Yes. So let us know what you and your family are doing, how you are talking about reconciliation and whose job it is to reconcile, which we'll, <laughs> which we'll get into more. So I guess without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Twinness. Welcome back to the brilliant Chiwinis Ogilvie. Uh, we spoke to Chiwinis in season two about the importance of family histories and storytelling, particularly as a tool of maintaining and promoting culture and a sense of self against the backdrop of colonization. So as you may recall, or I guess I can reintroduce Chiwinis, Chiwinis is a member of the Chiaklisa and Klaukwet nations of the New Channel people on the west coast of Vancouver Island. She's also a mother, an educator, and a kick-ass PhD candidate in education. Welcome back, Judith. Hi, I'm happy to see you both again and uh, be visiting with you again. Thank you. So happy to see you. We wanted to talk to Chewinis again, A, because we love Chewinis and it's yes. just a nice time to visit and hang out. <laughs> but as part of our commitment to doing better by Indigenous communities and people, uh, we wanted to sit down and uh, talk with Chewinis about, uh, you know, the grief that all too many of that has come out of all too many discoveries this summer um, at former residential school sites um, or just 
you know, colonial sites of violence, as we should probably be calling them. Mm-hmm. Um, and just uh, coming into September 30th here, which has been identified as a stat holiday here in Canada, uh, a time for mourning and um, uh, recognition uh, of what has has happened within uh, the colonial context in this country. We wanted to do a deeper dive and talk a little bit more with Chawinis about this idea of reconciliation. Okay. So Chawinis, it's been a hell of a summer. It's yeah. been a difficult summer filled with lots of grief for lots of different reasons, but um, we just wanted to first check in. How, how are you? How are you doing? Yes, I would say, sorry, I just have to tell my dog for a sec. That's okay. <laughs> Chewing on his blanket. Boomer. Hey. <laughs> Anyways. Boomer, cut it out. Yes. <laughs> no chewing on that, buddy. Anyways, he's only three, so he still has Aww. those puppy um, tendencies. Anyways, um, yes, you know, I would say that when these things came out, there was uh, a sense of feeling of time, being in sort of a time warp. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm an intergenerational survivor of residential school. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I've tended to automatically go to how my aunts and uncles are feeling, Mm -hmm. you know, so I reached out to them to say, I love you. I didn't ask them how they were doing. Yeah. I didn't ask them what they needed. I just wanted to really, um, let them know they're in my heart and my mind. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want to, um, force them to express anything. I just wanted mm-hmm. to acknowledge, um, which also means taking responsibility for extending that care because it's that love between Native people mm-hmm. that was really disrupted because yes. of residents. And, you know, um, And so I've felt since that point in time that it's important to investigate my own feelings about it as well. When I'm looking again at my relatives' experiences and being open to hearing how they're feeling about it. So I call it feeling discombobulated. Mm -hmm. It's almost like when trauma hits you again, it, your brain has difficulty ordering things up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I found in my work life, I've been a week ahead of time, which is, I suppose, better than being a week behind, but finding myself panicking that I'm not on top of something. But then I realized, so my sense of time has really been disrupted. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I've listened to some survivors who are an incredible amount of pain and it's a different pain than when that first, those first stories came out Mm -hmm. when they first started talking about um, residential school um, and they were remembering things as children. Mm -hmm. So they were remembering, you know, with adult eyes being little and older kids telling them, don't go play there. There right. are bodies buried there. Right. And so hanging on to yourself while you're listening and making sure it's safe for them to be able to describe that again. Mm-hmm. I think in the first round, I think there were too many conditions placed on survivors mm-hmm. sharing their story. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm not saying those conditions were always consciously thought of, mm-hmm. but there is a general structure to truth and reconciliation. There is a there is a still a mindset about how we want Native people to deliver yes. our stories. Yes. Yep. And our people have been impacted by that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In terms of our old traditional stories, we have stories that are violent. We have stories that are 
um, the opposite of what you would find, you know, uh, in a Bible or a fairy tale story. Mm-hmm. And those stories were censored by the colonizer and we were taught to be ashamed. So I worry sometimes, I know that my relatives feel comfortable, some of them telling me the truth of what happened, mm-hmm. right? Because they know I'm a safe person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that I don't expect them to censor what they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I really don't think that if people don't have a real space to be able to share in a really honest way mm-hmm. um, about that, it'll be really tough um, to um, open uh, what we're seeing and not keep revisiting that trauma. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, I do. I know I'm checking myself. I know I've talked a lot to my students and younger people. You may not think cause you didn't go through it that mm-hmm. it's impacting you, but notice if you're getting more irritable, mm-hmm frustrated pay attention to how you're feeling in mm-hmm. fact it was two weeks after um my son is 14 he we it had come on the news and of course his grandpa went to Kamloops uh Indian residential school okay yeah and so he knew that but again he sort of thought that's their story it's not right, right. yeah but, but then about uh two weeks later he was able to articulate to me now imagine people who can't uh-huh. put words to it, right? Mm-hmm. He was able to tell me, "Mom, they want us dead." Oh God! The intensity of that feeling for a fourteen-year-old, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, and it was the same when Colton Bushy was in the news. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. It was the same uh, when Tina Fontaine was yep. in the news. Yeah. Children's minds automatically go to a place of how can I organize this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And without intervention from other people, they take it on. And that's the thing we need to be careful of. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, that's pretty profound for him to articulate that through line in such a yeah, I mean, it's just like it's so so blunt, but so yes. accurate, right? But it's, like, and that's the thing that's like, what do you even say to that? Because it's true. That's the that's the thing, and that's where I guess um, in my life I've also been colonized and impacted by the way in which I tell a story, mm-hmm. especially having you know, had the goals of being an educator. Mm-hmm. Huge amount uh, pressure to become appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I do currently with my son is when he wants to tell people off mm-hmm. and make sure I support him in being able to do that. Yeah. And I try really hard to not uh, censor him in the way that he does that. Because for me, the point is I don't want him swallowing that. Mm-hmm. And- it. So mm-hmm. while I might be uncomfortable because I grew up in a time and my situation made me sort of whatever it is you want to call it more polite or more, more pacified or whatever, I'm very committed uh, to my children being able to say what it is they need to say. Mm-hmm. And so that's the intervention at the moment for me, but I refuse to tell my son I cannot teach him even history of colonization or present day colonization and Mm -hmm. not connect it up to the erasure Mm -hmm. or the total assimilation, which Mm -hmm. in the end is the erasure of who we are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A cultural genocide. Absolutely. And your instinct around that is probably partly that, but it's also like safety, right? Like, I wonder if that's part of it too. You've learned that it's not safe to show up with your whole truth, um, you know, and, and for him, I'm sure as a mother and as a parent, there may be, I don't know, definitely push back if that's not it, but like, 
there's probably some like, you know, like your instinct around like what will happen to him if he Mm -hmm. shows up as his whole self in this and pushes back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that's been a beautiful thing for us and our experience about him being out of school is he's had a fighting chance to yeah. develop who he is in that yes. context. Yes. You know? And not being told. Right now, the reality is in BC, we have are mandated to indigenize K to 12, but mm-hmm. we're not even certain about what that means. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yep. It's this thing also where we were just talking about it this week. Like you don't even know like when it comes to like colonial structures, like when you're in the water, you don't even know you're wet. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like you don't even know what things you're doing are need to be, you know, are colonized or structures that need unpacking and undoing. And um, yeah, it's, a, yes. it's, it's tip of the iceberg where we're at right now. Oh, it's also wow. like yes. the education system, like it's not yeah. equipped to do to like so you're going to teach indigenous children and non-indigenous children what it means to be indigenous like that doesn't feel right because it's not like a a b c and d okay now we're done like everybody remember that for your test okay let's move on like (laughs) yes exactly and these are tick the boxes then anybody can be yeah Yeah, and that's kind of how it's been done. It's like just about visibility, right? Like we're going to talk totally. about the community here and like what what were our traditional like subsistence methods and like you know there's like there's there's not a diving in there what hasn't been so far. I'm wondering if that's going to shift with some of the things that are shifting. Probably never enough, but to being critical about colonization, right? Yes. It's like more about learning mm-hmm. about the people that stewarded this land. And, and it's like very almost like exotifying and other, and like, and like, it's from another time versus being like, this is like the moment we live in now. And this is what, this is what colonization has meant in the, for all of us, we're all swimming in the colonization stew. And here's how it. Exactly. Exactly. We're all in this together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) We are, but in very different ways. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. And I do find um, that folks are confused about their responsibility and Mm -hmm. also what Native people's responsibility. I've had some conversations with people that are non-Indigenous, like white settler folks, Mm -hmm. who um, really feel it's Native people's responsibility to teach them. And Mm -hmm. it's not always an unkind thing. But it is very misplaced and it's um, it's an inappropriate expectation of Native people if you really have sat with the reality of something like residential school, never mind the roster of other events that came before and afterwards. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yes, and so... Um, so I, when, when the apology happened, I was like, F your apology totally <laughs> um, from Harper. And then, you know, when uh, we were, you sort of permitted under certain conditions to share our stories, yep. I held my relatives in my heart very closely and, and watched, uh, you know, what happened um, to family I watched the constrictive way in which um, people chose to look at that topic Mm -hmm. and, you know, not look at the impact, say, and the differences between possibly when women went to residential school and men, Mm -hmm. like often uh, women were expected to be homemakers. Mm -hmm. So they left earlier. And when it came to the payouts, um, they may have been, um, treated the same way as men, you know, but, um, because they left earlier and it's based on number of years, it's just all very at the behest of someone else, which is kind of the opposite of what I think the direction we're supposed to be going where native people are for lack of a better word, empowered to do exactly what it is they need to do. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which is, you know, um, 
So when this day came out initially, it mm-hmm. was a national Aboriginal People's Day. I don't know. I get mixed up between the 21st and this day. But mm-hmm. anyway, the June I, day, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. you know, state systems are, are, are a problem to me anyways. And when we have totally. state anything, it's just sort of like eventually over time, people mm-hmm. forget. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes like, oh, I don't have to go to work that day. What are we going to do? Let's go to the beach. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And if it is when initially it came out, you know, there was some expectation that those of us that were native working in education, well, we would work that day and we would present as a series of workshops and all that. And not to say that. Oh, God, that's so off the mark. I know. That's having the option. If that is what you would like to do, then fine, but not to have it put upon you, but to be like, this is the choice I'm making to do with this day. Yeah. So the people that most need rest, we're going to take rest away from. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. And do you know, I actually was watching a segment because my son wanted to watch Trigger Warning by Killer Mike. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I was moved to tears by a woman on the episode on uh, sleep. Mm-hmm. Okay. How sleep escapes people. Ah, yes. And I and I also see that in my relatives and a lot of women, the young mm-hmm. women who are at the forefront of land back resistance. Yes. I see them holding what's happened and struggling at you know the best way that they can with the means that they have currently in front of them and they're tired you know yes mm-hmm. and so that moved me to tears because there was a woman on that show who said I just want to be a woman not a strong black woman yes who I always have to be strong yep. and I cried when I watched that because yeah. I can relate. And uh, um, he was expressing, Killer Mike was expressing that sleep because of the stigma attached. And I said, God, of course, there's a stigma of the lazy Indian. Mm-hmm. It still has residue. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good word. It really, really does. It still is there. Yep. And in our collective memory, you know, we, we are so concerned sometimes that we're not going to be seen as what someone else says, mm-hmm. a productive citizen, then we deny ourselves mm-hmm. and we don't want other people to see us resting. I know I, I did that a lot in my life. I still struggle with looking as if I'm working hard enough. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've tried to confront that, but I, I think that, um, you know, one way I was able to give a fighting chance is my children. You know, I said, I have to do better because they're watching me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so when my boss says, you know, when I was able to do this, when my boss would be like, you know, you can deliver this and that, I said, no. Mm-hmm. When I the very thing that was disrupted at a basic level that you can point to is family. Mm-hmm. And I'm not separated from my family on that day. Yeah. And now it's time for our momentum shout out. Meg, what did you see this week? So we were at a local kind of farm winery place and it's a really cool place. You can like get a bottle of wine, do a tasting, but there's all this like kid friendly stuff like, uh, you know, like jumping apparatuses Mm -hmm. and games and slip and slide, all kinds of cool stuff. Well, so we're sitting there and we're having our our wine and um, we noticed this little girl hilariously uh, had to apparently had to use the bathroom and kind of like hiked up her dress and like kind of got into position and did like outside pee just sort of like in the middle of the play space uh, nice. and like it's a farm right so it was okay. like um and I think like 
it was hilarious. First of all, also felt very like transgressive because I see little boys do this all the time in mm-hmm. like transgressive in a positive way because she was like equal access to outside pee time. Yeah. Um, but the best part was that the parents handled it so beautifully. Like they didn't shame this little girl. They mm-hmm. weren't like angry or upset. Um, and it was a good reminder to me because my kid does this sometimes uh, where we're out at a park or whatever and thinks it's like everywhere is a bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just handled it so lovely. They laughed. They laughed. They found the humor in it. They like almost congratulated her for like taking care of her business when she needed to. And also just gently reminded that like maybe like sometimes not everywhere is the best place. Um, so I just thought that was a beautiful balance. And mm-hmm. I'm happy that that little girl has such cool parents. So you've already been speaking to this in such a beautiful way, talking about your relatives and even talking about your son. We're really interested to hear, you know, beyond that within community and within your your family, with your nieces and the other folks that you uh, you care for. Um, how are you finding, you know, peace and caring for yourselves and each other throughout, you know, the, all of the things that we've we've been talking about? Well, one of the things is um, I'm helping relatives with their day school application. Yep. And um, and that is actually quite big because it's a painful thing to fill out. Yeah. Um, and so doing that with support, I think, um, is really important. Um, I know listening to some folks that I love and care about, one of the first things that they do over here on the island anyways is is to have family dinners. So those that are direct survivors of those places, I know families have been having dinners and um, sort of supporting and nurturing each other through gathering together um, and, you know, letting each other know we know you're hurting, we know you're in grief and we're here and we're going to be stronger if we um, hold each other up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know also um, one of the things I wanted to mention is that, you know, uh, initially when things started to come out about residential school before this, um, the children who are, you know, going to continue to be found, Mm is there used to be a sort of a body of funding that was available for communities to access and do collective funding. Now, I don't know what's happening in terms of that. And I have some concern that there aren't enough resources. I know that there is counseling, but again, that information, unless you have someone sort of to teach you how to access it or even know that it's available, if you've been living sort of isolated because of your pain, or perhaps you don't have an address. Absolutely. Then, um, you know, we need to do a better job of making sure people know what is out there and at least give them choices. So, you know, there's that. And for me, there are some younger people that I love and care about and, um, I've talked to them about the importance of having fun. Yeah. Joy to them about, you know, like if it sounds fun to you, let's go have a fire and cook some food and sit with each other. Again, I'll remind my relatives, you know, you might not think you're being impacted, but notice how you're feeling and take the time to honor how you're feeling, whatever that looks like. So, so there are things we can do that when we gather, but I do get concerned for my relatives when they're sort of on their own mm-hmm. and um, feeling in pain. So, you know, I try to tell people what was told to me, remember that your relatives outside, even I'm looking outside and it's pouring rain and I'm so happy mm-hmm. um, that, you know, you can go out and let the rain, you know, take your feelings and wash your face and, mm-hmm. and go see your relatives outside, you know, your tree yeah. relatives and the water. Um, and so all of those things are important, you know, when I have relatives, you know, that'll text me and they'll send me a funny video or a funny meme. Mm-hmm. And I even use those as a way to sort of 
pull myself up for a short time out of those things. So that, yeah. that's things. I have plans actually on Thursday because that's coming up and yeah. I'm not working. So I have plans actually to do kind of a collaging thing. Cool. Yeah, that actually is about family. Mm-hmm. Because my dream, particularly being a 60 scoop survivor and an intergenerational survivor of residential school has really dictated what family means and caused a lot of fear about the inability to have a family. Yes. Yes. It might sound silly Mm -hmm. because collaging is, you know, is what it is, but it can be a powerful tool to access your subconscious. And I've done it once before. And when I looked at that, that that collage after I thought, what the heck, all of that was inside of me. And Mm -hmm. and that exercise let it out. So I've decided to be conscious and take back what that means to me. Yeah. And what that looks like. And perhaps, Mm -hmm. you know, what does love mean to me? I do love bell hooks book. Mm -hmm. Um, all about love. I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a beautiful quote from that book that I used to think about all the time. And it was like, I'm, I'm going to butcher the quote, but it was something <laughs> like, what would it mean for us to, to be in love and to love if we all started with the same definition? And that's completely a butchering of the quote, but it just like, Oh, like it was like when I was doing a lot of like gender-based violence work, yes. like it was just like very guiding light. Like, Oh, this is about understanding connection in a, in a fundamental way, in the same way. Totally, totally. My grandfather also told me a word in new channel is Ya'ukmis, which means love. And he said, it's a pain behind your belly. So I, I've been thinking a lot because the historical impact of colonization on my body mm-hmm. is like, and myself is a huge fear of pain. Mm. But for my grandfather to explain to me that with love, there's also pain and struggle. Mm-hmm. It sort of makes me able to um, be a little more brave. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I do. Not with stuff that was imposed and no. unnecessary stuff, but mm-hmm. a little bit about mm, my son's getting older, and you know he's starting to uh, to want to do other things, and it doesn't mm-hmm. mean he's also always wanting to chill with me. So there's a little bit of pain mm-hmm. in there, you mm-hmm. know? and to be able to face it and not react like <gasps> this is you know the other stuff, the toxic or yeah, stuff, right? The residue. From oh, I love that word. I love that word that you residue, like it's just really resonating as like a, yeah, like a really important idea in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's the thing, right? Like we can't, like love is painful and it's because it is such a, it's so profound and to get comfortable with what to love big means to also hurt big sometimes. And that's Mm -hmm. okay too. Yes. Yes, it's really true. And um, yeah, I really appreciate my grandfather talking to me about that because I actually can picture him. He would kind of laugh and smile about it, yeah. you know, because from his age, he had such a perspective and experience with it and had time to chew on it and think about it. So, you know, it didn't have the weight that it did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm grateful to him because he must have known how my experiences landed for me and wanted to give me something in another mm-hmm. way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. It's not like the guilt ridden stuff that sometimes organized religions <laughs> have around <laughs> the idea of love either too, which impacts, you know, communities and yeah. families. Yeah. Well, it's like what you've been saying all along about things being imposed on you Mm -hmm. as opposed to like feeling things and going through things and experiencing things. Yes. And making choices because Mm -hmm. much of what the impact of all of these things and continue to happen Mm -hmm. is that lack of choice. Mm -hmm. And so opening up the realm of options there's some uh, bit of a taste of freedom in that Mm -hmm. Um, and some healing. I think that can occur. 
So, um, but I think sometimes we live in a colonial, you know, modern society with all kinds of even pressures that aren't even automatically visible to us. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult to remember. And that's why I hang on so tightly to the stories of my family. Mm -hmm. Um, My family has this, uh, there's a popular song on the West Coast called the Huye song, and it's turned into a friendship dance. But my cousin Ron Martin was explaining to me that it's a Robin dance and it's danced in a particular way. And it's, he said, our great granny used to, when he was a little boy, he'd go visit and she'd drop everything at the house that she was doing. She'd grab the drum and all the little grandkids would dance that song out. Um, And the movements of the song are, and the lyrics are basically, really simple the the movements indicate what you're telling your body is telling your mind which is when we go this way go that way mm-hmm. this is the way we're gonna go mm-hmm. so it's about teaching children in a different way than going up to a blackboard and saying mm-hmm. the word choice mm-hmm. this is the roots of the word choice yeah this is what it means you're actually doing it and understanding it. Now, the impact of colonization may be that uh, we've lost some memory about what that song means, but that's sort of my, I feel like part of my responsibility is not lose sight of those things. And Mm -hmm. actually part of the healing of these things that have impacted us. Yeah. What you're talking about there is like, it's like an embodiment of an idea versus just like a meant like a cognition, like cognitively understanding it. Like it's about really like living, like living in a, in a full and whole way. And it actually makes me think about something that we wanted to kind of touch on with you. And, you know, we've, we've talked in the past and this is spot on that indigenous people in Canada have nothing to reconcile. So sometimes this term reconciliation can be really uncomfortable and inaccurate because I think about that all the time since you said that true us. Me too. Yeah. It's just always in my brain whenever I hear the word and I'm always just like, like, it it suggests that there's a, you know, that there's a equal, almost like an equitable responsibility, which is not, you know, should not be obviously well, how- it's again making indigenous people responsible for what was done to them yeah exactly and that's if you look at how you're gonna reconcile receipt you know it's even it's to exactly and even if you use that as an example mm-hmm. the playing field isn't even no mm-hmm. the power still you know as native people live in canada under an indian act and you know there is there are things about that that I get riled up about but the fact of our dehumanization Mm -hmm. and and then uh, asking for us to somehow fix that yes yes is a real problem and the reality is we have not moved beyond a point of time where I feel like it's necessarily a fair option mm-hmm. for people because mm-hmm. we're still you know um we're still living in a colonial state yeah we're yeah it's still- not like it's over right yeah. Yeah. Which is like it's something just- that it suggests yeah like it's like we've taken your children we tried to take your culture we tried to take your language we've tried to take and take and take and can you just give us this one more thing now and tell us that what we did is okay and we can move forward can we yes. just be friends? <laughs> and when you take it, can you please deliver it so it's entertaining and yes. drums and your songs and your dances? Yeah. Uh, and it makes us know. feel really good. And yeah, yeah. And and also this need in Western society, which has increased intensely to run from any feeling of discomfort. Yes. So yeah, that's huge. I think about Paulette Regan's book she did back in the day on settling the settler within. Mm-hmm. And that's talking about sort of on an individual basis to be okay with being unsettled and mm-hmm. discomfort. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I went to school with Emma at Bar- or Emma Battelle and Adam Barker, and they wrote a book called Settler Colonialism mm-hmm. in Canada. I'm trying to remember the title. Anyways, 
it goes the next level up, I think. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, even taking a moment on that day to investigate Mm -hmm. why you revert and why you have an urge. I did a workshop with a good friend of mine, another uh, Native colleague, and there's still this tendency, even while we were breaking down the history of Indigenous education and that, you know, the strategies are have largely been in the beginning. <laughs> Indians don't exist. They're dying. They're mm-hmm. dying right mm-hmm. to um, here they are. And they were all related to Louis Riel. I've been growing up on the prairies. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Exactly. Everybody was at the really Red River Rebellion. Like, yes, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my God, I need to, I need to get uh, my gear in order if that's <laughs> <laughs> I went to school and I and I learned about those things. I was like, oh my gosh! And so then, then the next you know period is sort of um, uh, Native people pushing, always resisting the whole way. And then 1972 document Indian control of Indian education. Everybody should read it. Everybody mm. should read it because you can see it reiterated over and over again in RCAP in the TRC calls mm-hmm. to act all of that. So our people the whole time have been trying to stop further harm, create spaces that are safe for Native Mm -hmm. people in these institutions. Mm -hmm. And their intentions, you know, were, were around safety and hoping that some way we'd be getting out of the box that we're in. and then, you know, then there's that, you know, hire a couple more native, put a few in leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't really actually moved beyond that model yeah. where native people in that particular local territory who still have their systems of governance, mm-hmm. how they deal with past harms, mm-hmm. how they deal with envisioning the future mm-hmm. it's still largely not i've seen the look of people where they can't compute shifting those processes and institutions to actually transform mm-hmm. the relationship mm-hmm. so we're, we're still not there yet Brian Delore Jr. in his first chapter behind the buckskin curtain makes me laugh so much. But he also talks about and questions, you know, our people, you know, brought all of our young people to school. We really hoped that this would change. And he gives a clue that um, there's a concern that that will get co-opted. So I'm Mm -hmm. sort of talking about this idea of reconciliation when I'm talking about him. And he says, you know, the good thing is lots of Western folks are not happy. And, 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 you know, he's died. So imagine what he think of what's happening in the world right now, but, Mm -hmm. um, or what he thinks right now in the spirit world, but that there's an unrest and unsettling And he says, you know, there's a lot of people who would like to let go of the shackles of modern society and sort Mm -hmm. of be in, and, you know, you kind of see a little bit of that at Fairy Creek and you saw back in the day, not really recognizing their privilege of being able to walk back and forth in Mm -hmm. those spaces and not having a full understanding. And yet for Native people in terms Mm -hmm. of Simulation, he says something like it's actually easy to become assimilated because mm. Western demands for being Western, mm-hmm. modern, mainstream are not actually that vigorous. Well, you can vote when you're 19 or 18 or whatever. Mm-hmm. You get your driver's license when you're 16. You um, can drink by the age of 19 or whatever it is. There's not very rigorous standards. Whereas in a new channel worldview, by the time a child has hit puberty, they're mm-hmm. to start thinking like my son is to start thinking about what he's going to commit to. In mm-hmm. Yeah. Think about something outside of himself. You mm-hmm. 
And so, um, yeah. So there's, you know, sometimes on a, on a day where I'm feeling tired, I think the audacity of people asking me to, to deliver them on a silver platter, uh-huh. what's happened in the past couple of 500 years. On other days, I have some quick comment to make back at them. Yeah, you can do a quick Google search. Yeah, I've actually yeah. said before, a quick Google search will bring you to yeah. information. <laughs> yeah. We don't have a problem with access to information. What we have a problem with is a history of not seeing Indigenous people and other folks as human beings. Yes. So the desire to shift that relationship, if you're the one benefiting, Mm -hmm. you might possibly have to share. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Relinquishing the status quo when you're benefiting from it is a paradox, right? I mean, it shouldn't be, but it feels like a paradox. We're both smiling so much when you're talking about Google, because that's been a theme in our podcast. Like we're constantly talking. Yeah. yeah, We're constantly talking about, (laughs) because we've had a lot of conversations in different contexts around, you know, marginalized folks, particularly marginalized women, women of color, having to take on the the burdensome labor of educating other people. And the, yes. the literally Google it is like a refrain that we constantly <laughs> are like the, the information is infinite. And uh, we've done even a couple of little examples just to show how easy it is to not ask that person to do more. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. I feel like sometimes a remedy for me would be to develop some kind of radio uh, comedy skit on all of these scenarios (laughs) so that you can shine the light on the ridiculousness of being asked certain things. And I do tease a lot. And even at public speaks, I'll tease, you know, quick Google search and you'll come up when I talk to teachers, it's not a lack of resources for indigenizing. I Mm -hmm. don't think that's the problem you're really asking, you know? your job so i say it's not your job to teach native people how to be native or to teach and your job is to talk about the truth Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah And, and to be able to uh you need to do the job and figure out how to do that with your kindergartners absolutely you like and and then they say, well, you know, what's appropriate? And I said, well, I can't tell you anything because my child was little going to school and y'all were more concerned about that than you were about her having lived through it. Yes. And so um, it's people need to think about that also. They need to understand because actually kids understand and have lots of empathy mm-hmm. time and they, they understand fairness, right? They so like- understand. Yes. They understand equanimity more than most people do. In fact, I had a friend who's a grade five French immersion teacher. Nothing in her world made her have to talk about colonization, but she stays in touch with me. She teaches from she's settler from day one to um, June. Amazing. And she uh, talks about land as a foundation. So she talks about the territory acknowledgement, but she also talks about it's tied to actually an illegal occupation and theft of land to little grade fivers. And they can handle it. Yeah, They handle it. And, you know, they had responses to it and they had all of these drawings and she sent them on her cell phone to me. And it was like, uh, well, duh, give them their land back. Yeah. I was like, that's, <laughs> that's like every kid's response, honestly. Yeah. Like, well, you it's, took it. It wasn't yours. Give it like their fundamental principles of like being decent, you know, like mm-hmm. that we, that kids are taught, settler kids are taught from the time that they are like from the get-go, ver- from the beginning, from like verbal and prior. And yet exactly. somehow they're adults in their life, you know, like these are embodied principles and values but that there's a there's a cognitive disconnect between how they live and how they're embodied when we talk about reconciliation and when we talk there's where privilege is 
because mm-hmm. this is the privilege that you have and you don't want to give it up. So these principles apply to this setting, but we're not going to apply them over here because yes. this is uncomfortable to talk about and we might have to change something about our lives. Yeah. Exactly. And Mike, Mike, so it's really interesting, that place of discomfort. I think we should end on Twinness. I really like the idea of like, it's not your job to tell people what to do. Google it and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Google it and figure it out because do you know what? I'll leave you also with this because I don't know who's listening, but my heart goes out to people. I look forward to the day when we have maybe our own uh, like freedom schools, the Mohawk mm-hmm. people have their own freedom school. Yeah. I'm so inspired by the folks who are taking language revitalization because they're taking back pieces mm-hmm. of who they are and they're pushing out the rest of those things. And, and to let people know, you know, we, that is our birthright. That is in part what was taken from us. And, and I would love um, to see, you know, um, at the University of Victoria, as totally like the three island nations, Kwakwaka'wakw studies, New Channel studies, or Centrothan studies. But maybe it's not a good idea. But the, you know, we'll see how things play out. But the point is, we have a right to be who we are mm-hmm. and continue to nurture that. Mm-hmm. And we um, we actually, in order to maintain who we are, um, we really uh, depend on being able to do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's the work of others to learn, to not burden um, those who've lived it, uh, to to let you know how rotten it was or to let you mm-hmm. learn you can go on and you can listen to the stories of survivors mm-hmm. and don't tell me it gave you nightmares <laughs> yeah no kidding <laughs> to listen to that you yes well go talk to your counselor you go i'm not saying that it doesn't upset people mm-hmm. what i'm saying is it's not appropriate to have Native people manage your yes. processing of that. Yes. It's, yeah, it's you, you go learn about it. It's actually not a lot. You can look at the Union of BC Indian Chiefs and you can see the historical timeline and you can look at that and see how many times Native people fought back for themselves. Mm-hmm. And you can also see how complex and deep in BC. Yes. That history of conflict is. It's not the other thing is it's not just residential school. This country yes. is in danger yes. of only talking about certain things. Yeah. But the process, the culture of assimilation and erasure runs deep. It runs from the second that settlers arrived on Turtle Island. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it continues yeah. to this day. Yes. And, I think it's important to realize that and to to learn because the whole point of learning history is so that we don't repeat it. Yeah, that's what we're constantly saying. So I think our pro- commitment to you and to the Indigenous communities is that we will continue to learn and we will not forget history and we will teach our children what, everything that has happened and is happening so that they learn so that history doesn't become the present, doesn't become the future. wonderful that makes me really happy to hear that i'm glad now i'm gonna go put my feet up yes Yes. rest 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 halloweeny on (laughs) please do thank you for chatting with us Joannis. we look forward to chatting with you again soon and rest do whatever you need to do as long as it's your choice and we we're just so we feel so grateful thank you thank you so much i I love visiting with you too and i really appreciate you inviting me to be a part of your program again of course it means a lot to me too so and i look forward to talking again till next time okay see you later now it's time to pause for momentum. So this week I will be reading a poem from The Red Files, a poetry collection by Lisa Bird Wilson, who is a Métis and Nahia writer from Saskatchewan. This poem is called The Apology. 
You show up with your tight lip smile, hard to read, a red carnation at your breast, looks like stained tissue. You respond more to the cameras than the people. Start and end by saying you're sorry, offer an apology. You say the hard facts, while the soft ones float in the background, inch around the room like a buffalo. Soft facts like baby fat, like children's cheeks. Not in so many words, but the cult quality photos tell a portion of what there is to be remorseful for. Not one fat child for over 100 years, and it's not just food, experiments in malnutrition, clothing and shelter denied, but the human stuff, what a child wants most, affection, protection, to belong. Held in the musty records, embraced between the lines, the ratio of caregivers to children leaves no room for pity. All were deprived, children died. You sound sincere, you slippery sweater-vested seal man, less attractive version of yourself. So learn this, don't miss the point. An ending doesn't follow a beginning. The story endures. 60s poached babies learned to slide birth family around on budding tongues. Subtext, mama wasn't good enough. You sowed these seeds and you apologize for having done this, for having done this thing that is still in the doing. Our stolen women like prey, beautiful Jane Doe at the bottom of a river, and no one's in charge or finds it strange children grow up but keep dying regrettably. A mother under a boil water order so long her babies all become adults, never knowing clean water. The order still not lifted. Education pushes Samuel out of a seat not meant for an Indian graduate. He's learned well about your legacy of problems. No, ticklish man, we are sorry, doesn't drive a stake through the heart of the monster with a bloody smile as you pat your lips dry with the bloom at your breast. Extraordinary resilience and courage doesn't close a sucking wound. We acknowledge that Gaining Momentum is recorded, produced, and edited on the unceded territory of the Selic Okanagan people and the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Anina, Oji Cree, Dena, and Dakota peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. Gaining Momentum. Gaining hosted, making an app. With artwork by Catherine Please check our show notes with each episode for more information on Catherine and Evan, plus how you can stay in touch with us through email, Instagram, and Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you.